This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. In this episode, I'm on the road in San Francisco attending the Zenex conference, and I have the wonderful privilege of having Jason Eels, the vineyard manager, and Kim Mettler, the general manager of Mettler Family Vineyards, here with me today in our studio, if you will, our little makeshift studio. Thank you, Kim and Jason, so much for being here. This is a great pleasure. I, I want to say that our families kind of go back a ways. I don't know if you, you knew that, but I'm from the Central Valley originally, and there was a Mettler family in Mettler, California. You guys actually have a town named after you in California. And there was a, a distant relative of yours who was a very dear friend of my family. So, wow, it was just, I was so excited to meet you at this conference and be able to connect those dots. So Kim, thank you for being here. Of course. I feel like the pleasure is all mine. Well, it's, it's equally, it's mine as well. <laughs> so Kim, let's, let's kick this off. How did your family actually make the transition from being wine growers to being wine producers? Now, actually, I'm going to rephrase that. They were, they've been growing grapes for multiple generations in California. So in Lodi in particular, right? Correct. So, and Lodi is located? So Lodi um, is about an hour and a half from San Francisco, where we are right now. Right. Um, we are right in that true Mediterranean climate of getting those Delta breezes. And um, our family actually settled in Lodi, although some did settle down in Shafter, where some of your family members are still, right. and mine as well. But we came over from Germany, and um, we were actually winemakers and farmers there. In Germany. In Germany. Okay. And um, came over to the United States and went through the Dakotas like many of us did. Uh, some continued on and settled in California, some in Shafter, and then also a, a big contingency of us Mettlers in Lodi. Very cool. And then they were they always grape growers or were they did they start farming other crop? So our family one? was always in the grape industry. So we've been farming wine grapes in Lodi since 1899. So at least four generations. Uh, I'm the fifth. Wow. And our kids are the sixth. Wow. So, yes. That goes back. So I'm fifth generation Californian. I thought I was, you know, kind of a rare egg, but sixth. Yeah. So, you know, we are truly stuck in Lodi to, uh, you know, quote the uh, Credence song. (laughs) How how does that lyric go? Stuck in Lodi again. (laughs) I'm not going to sing it for you, though. Yes. You have a lovely singing voice. So how did your family make the transition again from being grape growers all those generations right, into and, making wine? And, you know, we really are still farmers first. We still have that as a main component of our business. But back in the late 90s, we started to make the transition into making our own wine. And how that really happened was... Um, just, I think, wanting to see what was going to transpire from the vineyard to the bottle, because we never got to see the final product. We were always selling really? the grapes. Yeah. Nobody ever gave. Nobody ever came back and said, "Hey, try this." Well, they weren't vineyard designate. Oh. So it was probably maybe you know, being blended yeah, into something. Right. Okay. Right. All so, right. you know, back then we didn't really um, get to see the true expression of of what our fruit could do. So um, we ended up taking a winemaking class, and our entire family, including my husband, my mom, um, my siblings, we took a, a winemaking class at the local junior college, and we just got kind of bit by the wine bug and had no equipment. Did 
didn't know what we were doing, but we just kind of, you know, (laughs) tried to figure it out and really like had the garage, you know, equipment and making the wine in the garage. And which, by um, the way, is better than Joel Peterson, who started making wine in an abandoned toilet seat factory. Oh yes, that is that is better. (laughs) Thank you guys. Making wine in a garage maybe a little step up. (laughs) I agree with that. So you're making wine in the garage. Yeah, and our class project was to make a wine. So we were making this wine to actually submit as our final and then they from were from your own grapes. Mhm. And you know, we got grapes that year, whatever whatever uh, dad wanted to part with that, you know, wasn't going to cost us any money. So whatever was long, <laughs> here you go for your for your class project. And so we made this wine. Block. Yeah, the class block and we we brown bagged it and then our wine was the winner of the class. And so we were like, "Wow, that's kind of fun. Like maybe we can do this." And we ended up hiring um, at the time a, a wine consultant that helped us actually make the professional transition. Yeah. And um, we've learned a lot over the years. In the beginning, our wine consultant was Barry Nikau, which I know a lot of people in the industry are very familiar with Barry. Then, you know, as my brother got older, he ended up going to college. He studied enology at Fresno State and became a winemaker, and he's our winemaker now. Okay, so really his family. Oh, yeah. And he just won, actually, uh, the 2018 Winemaker of the Year from Wine Enthusiast Magazine. I so heard that. I know. I call him my little show pony, which I'm his <laughs> sister, so I can give him that I can give him that little uh, nickname that he's not going to be able to shake. Yeah, is that, like, on his business card? <laughs> it should be. <laughs> and thank you for that idea. I might uh, have to add that when I get back. Great. And it really is, I mean, truly a family affair. You're, are your parents still... Actively involved in they are. The, the business? They are. Okay. So, you know, my mom, um, she's involved in um, a lot of, like, just secretarial type things as far as taking notes for us and keeping things Ad- organized. Administrative is the PC she, word. She loves, yeah, she's so organized, right. so she's so great. And I really have to credit her for even getting our family into the wine business because wow. she really was the true drive. And sometimes she doesn't get that credit, but she really was the force that kind of pushed us all in that direction. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, uh, um, what about the vineyard manager? I heard that you uh, you're, you guys are pretty tight. Yeah, I kind of like him a lot. Yeah. So I think we'll keep him around for another 21 years. He's been with us for 21 years managing the vineyards. Can't get rid of him, huh? Nope, nope. And that's a good thing. So he's um, a busy guy. We farm about 2,000 acres right now in Lodi. Wow. So, um, and I probably should mention that Jason is your husband. Oh, yes, the, yes. The <laughs> no, no scandal here. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> He's sitting right next to you. Yes, he is. He's out. here next to yes. me. The, the tall, silent type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then tell me, so here you are with, you're growing the grapes, you're now making the grapes. What was your first vintage? Our first vintage was a 1999 Cabernet. Cabernet. And it really was the path of the most resistance back in the late 90s. A Cabernet from Lodi really was a tough sell. We started with the Cabernet because, quite frankly, that's what our family liked to drink. Mm-hmm. And my dad was like, well, if it doesn't sell, we'll just drink it. You know, that was the business plan back then. <laughs> Great model. <laughs> most expensive. It was like whatever. I used to go fishing with my dad. We'd go fishing. He's, I was like, Dad, this is like the most ex- you, We could buy fish for cheaper. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but where's the fun in that? Where is the fun in that? So that's really how we started. We just kind of started with making a wine that we were passionate about, that a varietal we liked to drink. And, you know, now we have too much to just drink by ourselves. So okay. we're sharing it with the world. <laughs> and you're now making more varietal than just Cabernet. We do. Our f- 
I would I mean, say we that we are here at Zinex. We are, yes. and Cabernet is our flagship wine. Not too many years later, we did um, start making a Petit Syrah, and then we brought on a Zinfandel. And you know, now if you come and visit our tasting room, you're going to be able to come and try some really unique wines like Pinotage and Alionico, and we make a fantastic domestic Alfredo. We do. We grow it, too. So that's the cool thing about Mettler. Everything in the bottle comes from fruit we grow. Everything's wow. a state. Ah, I did not know there was domestic Alionico. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to, um, next time I'm out here, I'm yeah. going to have to definitely stop in. we got about 112 cases. <laughs> so you, you mentioned a word earlier. You said passion, things that mm-hmm. we're passionate about. And I know that you're passionate about sustainability. We are. Tell me about how that's translating in your vineyard. So for us, sustainability is a really big component of how we farm our grapes, how we look at um, the vineyard health. For us being a multi-generational family, you you really need to be aware of sustainability, not just in your vineyards, but in your business. So we need to be cognizant of the choices that we're making so that these vineyards are viable for future generations. So you just can't keep taking and taking. You really need to take a, an overall look. So what we do is we we do a lot of things of cover crop and putting plants into the vineyards that will bring beneficial insects. And you know sustainability goes further than just what you're going to do in the vineyard. It also is is so far reaching that it comes into how you treat your employees and you know are you offering them a Christmas party and do you um, do things that create an all-over cohesive feeling in your company, which in, an, in turn really does create sustainability. So sustainability is not just in the vineyard. It runs through the entire organization. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So Jason, tell me about how sustainability affects how you think about doing your farming practices. Yeah, it's uh, it's a point-based system. Uh, it was created in Lodi. It was It's called the Lodi Rules for Sustainability. Really? Okay. And it was the first third-party certified uh, certification program in the United States for vineyards. So the first one, uh, the first one, yeah, in Lodi, in Lodi. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And we, there's a lot now. Yeah. So there's uh, when it first started, you know, there wasn't very many acres. Uh, now it's up to sixty thousand acres that are in the program. There's even a vineyard in uh, Israel that's certified through the Lodi Rules program. Wow. So, okay. so yeah, it's it's a far-reaching program. It's it was really the model. Uh, for the sustainable program. Now there's several in California, but this this truly is the the first one and the model for the rest. And I imagine being parents, right, and you're raising children who may be working in the vineyards one day, you probably want them to not just have healthy vines, but you want to be health, you want everybody working in the vineyards to be healthy. Absolutely. And you know, spraying if you can avoid it, spraying pesticides is probably a good thing, I would imagine, for people working in the vineyards. That's right. Particularly if they're your children. Yes. I mean, we live right on the ranch. So So it's important. So it's very important. So, you know, some of we do have some certified organic vineyards as well. Really? Um, so we're doing a little bit of everything. That, so uh, it's a little more complicated on the organic side to farm that way. It's a little sure. more expensive. But, you know, the sustainable program, like Kim was saying, it, it takes the encompasses the entire ranch, the entire business operation. So it's we feel it's probably the best program for us. And again, you're, you're farming over 2,000 acres. Yes. That's a lot to manage. Yes. Um, is everything sustainable or above? So not all the vineyards are sustainable currently, but we're working towards that. Good, um, good, good. So it's a goal of ours. You know, we take step by step. I think currently now we have about 700 acres in the program. Wow. So it's 
you know, yeah. and growing. Yeah. Uh, and we add new blocks every year to that program. So it's a, it's a great program. Good. And speaking of the vineyards, I understand that, Kim, you were telling me earlier, you have a really cool picture of a couple people in a vineyard. As I understand it, a black and white photo of your grandfather and somebody else who kind of became a little popular in the winemaking history of California. What's that yeah. back? What's that story all well, about? A lot of people don't realize that Robert Mondavi, I'm sure everybody's pretty aware of that name in the wine industry, is um, actually a Lodi boy. So he grew up in Lodi. He went to Lodi schools. Um, and my grandfather, Carl Mettler, and Robert Mondavi were both in the same class in high school together. So I have a really cool picture of the two of them actually out in one of our vineyards. And they're both standing in the vineyard, and they're holding on to this wire that's on these little vines. And it's the first vines on wire on our ranch, which is kind of a cool thing because there's now like so so much yeah. of that. Yeah, all we, the vineyards right. going we call to trellis. it tre- trellising yes. now. Trellis. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And back yeah. then it was, you know, the, the picture says first vines on wire. You know, it was a big deal. It was a movement of how things were going to change for the future. And Well, how were, were, how were vines being grown before being trellised on wire? They're head trained. Mm-hmm. So they're all hand harvested. So... Uh, the reason to put them on a trellis in general is to be able to mechanize, so to machine harvest. One of the first grape harvesters was on our ranch that was brought from New York that they used to pick Concord grapes with the, with the harvester. So this was one of the first uh, conversions. They converted a head train vine and they laid it down on a trellis. And then they machine harvested it. Right. And this was in the 70s. Wow. Because now when you, you drive along any highway or road where there are vineyards, they're all trellised. It's pretty rare to actually see uh, head-trained mm-hmm. vines. That's right. Old, and, and if you do, they're generally really old vines. That's right. That are, are head-trained. And I, what comes to mind, obviously, is Zinfandel yeah. as those old uh, head-trained vines. Absolutely. Correct. Throughout uh, Lodi and, and Sonoma and other parts. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. That's, uh, you know, on the for head-trained vines today, to plant them that way, is, it's kind of rare, only because the labor, the labor to harvest them is just pretty prohibitive to yeah. plant head-trained right. vines. Right, and, and as I learned earlier today in a seminar, head-trained vines, no two vines are alike, right? So you might have some fruit that's two inches off the ground and some fruit that's four feet off the ground, right? and you can't... You can't use a machine to harvest those. You've got no. to go through it. It's backbreaking labor. Yes, you know, as yes. we say. Yep. Really yeah, is. and that's that's great. But the transition from being from farmers to well, I shouldn't say the transition because you're still farmers. Mm-hmm. That's right. There is no transition from farming. You've just added mm-hmm. winemaker to your repertoire. Yes, you've diversified. You have. <laughs> How many cases is Mettler putting out? So we're putting it out about eighteen thousand cases a year, with everything. Okay. Yeah. Eighteen thousand, and that's. Cabernet, Petite Syrah, Petite Syrah, Old Vine Zinfandel, uh-huh. our Copacetic Red Blend, which is which a is red blend. A red blend. It's a Zinfandel-based red blend. Uh, it's a fun wine. Um, Copacetic, meaning it's all good. We have a Muscat Canelli for a white, an Albarino for a white. We do a GSM, as I mentioned, a Pinotage, an Alionico, a Merlot, a Movedra. So um, lots of fun, unique stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, what, what was the white wine you poured for me yesterday? The Albarino. Wow. That was just, <laughs> that was delicious. That was one of our favorites, too. Yeah. It they, goes down easy. It went down really easy. <laughs> that, was, that was delicious and actually much needed at that 
yes. particular point in time yesterday. Yes. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> so um, before we get into our tasting portion, I'm curious if you uh, just kind of first time I'm asking this question, but if you could come up with three words that really defined the Mettler the Mettler brand, what would you what would those three words be? Well, I would hope um, people would take away from our story and our brand three words that were multi-generational, that were quality, and that were sustainable. Well, let's find out. Sounds good. <laughs> Great. That's the, ta- that's the signal that we now get to taste these wines. Yay! So what, we, you brought two wines for us to t- try today. What's the first one we're going to try? So the first one um, that we'll try is the 2017 Epicenter Old Vine Zinfandel. This wine, um, this is the brand new vintage. In fact, this wine's really not even released yet. So if anyone's looking for this one out in the market, you're not going to find it quite yet. Yes. Yes. We anticipate it'll be released. Probably in about a month. So you're getting a sneak peek today. Wow, I love the nose on this. Yeah, it's a great... Is it 100% Zen? It is. And this one has, I think this one is uh, uh, coming out with a score of 92 in the Wine Enthusiast. Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, The current vintage has a 91, and that one is still available in the market if anyone finds it. And Um, what's the retail price on that? So it'll retail under 25. Wow. And where does the name Epicenter come from? So Epicenter is a little tagline we like to put on there, and, and what it means is, Nothing to do with earthquakes, okay? Oh, <laughs> what it means is, um, you know, it's the epicenter. It's the epicenter of old vines. There's nowhere else in the world that has as many old vines Zinfandel as Lodi does. Lodi is the epicenter of, of the old, old vines vine Zen movement. Wow. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, and I'm sure it varies widely, but Jason, if you had to guess, how old are these vines? When we first started the brand, it came from one particular vineyard, and that vineyard is about 60 years old. Uh, as the production has ramped up, we had to switch to two vineyards now, and that other vineyard's about 70 years old. Mm. So they're truly old vines. There's real no clear definition of what old vines are. Right. Us in the industry, we feel anything over 50 years old is, yeah, is an old vine. I've heard that that's kind of an unofficial yeah. adopted number. Mm-hmm. And then there's you know some talk about if it's over 100 years old, it's an ancient vine. Right. So... But these are old vines, and then uh, they, you know, the beauty of old vines is they just kind of self-regulate themselves, uh, so you don't have to do a lot of manipulation on the crop, and then kind of just do their own thing. They've been around a long time, a lot longer than we have. They kind of get it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the really cool thing too about old vines, from what I understand, is the, the berries self-concentrate. When you were talking about self-regulating, right? Yeah. So you get really great concentration. That's right. In old vine berries, you, know, yeah. you don't have to green harvest. You don't have to drop fruit. Yeah. You really just... You know, some years you may, uh, depending on on the weather. You know, if we had a really wet spring, you may have to drop some crop or or open the canopy a little bit more. But uh, in general, you don't have to do a whole lot to them. Good. Well, you know what? They don't deserve to be drop cropped. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got to say that uh, it's it's delicious. The, The word comes to mind here on this wine is juicy. Yeah. It's really, you know, great. It's vibrant. It's got a, you know, a lot of the wonderful Zinfandel characteristics you look for. A little bit of that pepper, beautiful blueberry fruit in there. It's just great acidity because I'm getting some really good, you know, juicy flavors out of that. So well done. Thank you. So what's the next wine? It's a really cool label. <laughs> who, who designed that? I designed that. I like it. Um, Is it a I big designed... question mark or? 
It, it is kind of a big question mark. You know, I, I created this label years ago. We ended up doing a really small lot of an old vine Zinfandel that was like a late harvest, late harvest in like a little 500 milliliter bottle. And it was dynamite. And we made just a tiny little bit of it. And we came out with that with the copacetic name. Now, the copacetic, I love that word. Although a lot of people, they'll say, what does that mean? How do you not know what copacetic means? So copacetic, it means it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. It is yeah. all good. So um, Everything's copacetic. Everything is copacetic. So this is a nod to the notion of balance. When everything is copacetic, it means that everything is in perfect order and it's all good. So this is a Zinfandel-based red blend. It's a proprietary blend that my brother Adam put together. And it's something really that we created um, initially for our wine club to enjoy. You know, I go out in the market a lot and then I'll get asked the question, can you bring us something special? Okay, like something like, you know, they don't normally get. So I'd bring this wine out with me, and then now they all want it. So now this wine you can find in select markets. Well, good, good. <laughs> so you will find Copacetic out and about uh, from so time what, to time. So what year is this Copacetic? So this is a non-vintage. Non-vintage? Mm-hmm. Okay, pretty rare. Pretty rare, pretty rare. To find non-vintage wines. Right. So what we do... I I should say, pretty rare to find non-vintage wines outside of Europe. Yes. So we do this as a non-vintage, but on the back you'll see see it says gig three. So that's, instead of saying lot one, lot two, lot three, we we call it a gig. So uh, this is the gig three. So this is the the third bottling of the Copacetic. And it's only bottled one time a year. You know, it's not something that's multi-bottled per year. It's one, okay. one time a, a year, and it's a proprietary blend um, that my brother puts together as as things kind of transpire. It's brilliant. And, and sees how things it's, taste. It's, and Yeah. And then I, I guess like a Solari, you're adding an older, some older vintages into newer vintages and mm-hmm. blending to a particular mm-hmm. style. Right. And I love the style. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Different, very different from your old vines in. Very, very different. different. Very so different. where I, I would ex- say that the old vines in was juicy, uh, I would say that this is probably more elegant, mm-hmm. right? So you mm-hmm. just kind of have more this beautiful, mellow mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. It is very mellow. You know, it's easy. I like to call it Wednesday night wine. You know, something that you can pick up and have after work on a Wednesday. And it's, you know, this is an under $20 bottle of wine. You'll this probably, is under $20? Yeah, you'll find it on the shelf for like seventeen ninety nine. Really? So yeah, and you know, with our brand, what we wow, want with our yeah. consumers is to be able to go and take it off the shelf and know exactly what they're going to get every time. We want to keep to a flavor profile that you know, once they become fans of our wine, we're not going to let them down. A you know? Wednesday night wine. So this is in our household. We would call it a pizza wine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. You know, mm-hmm. you everything's hectic. You yep. had a, maybe had a tough day, or mm-hmm. there's just a lot of things going on, and you just want to bring home a pizza and open a bottle of wine. This would be brilliant. And no heavy tannins. Just, no. Just, just it's easy pretty, drinking. It's easy drinking. Mm-hmm. super mellow. Yeah. It's copacetic. It's, it's copacetic. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, Kim, thank you so much for being here. I, I really appreciate it. It's Absolutely. Great to meet an old family yeah, friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I agree. I hope I see you more in my future. Absolutely. I would love to come out to Loda. Yeah. I've, I've got a few people out there I'd love to visit and love yeah. to stop by and, and check it out. Yeah. Come drink some Alionico. I will. <laughs> I will. You laugh, but I will. Oh, I bet. I'm uh, waiting for you. Well, thank you for joining me on another episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter 
and catch my Wine of the Week segments every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.